Guys, I am super excited about our guest today and in true fashion and form. I don't even know how to say that correctly. In true form and fashion. <clears throat> Grammar is not my specialty, but I love interviewing people. So I'm so excited for Dr. West. And before he comes on, I do want to tell you a very quick story that I think is hilarious that involves Dr. West. Um, so on my phone, I, uh, it broke. So I had to get a new phone and I'm texting my best friend who just got engaged. She was my best friend from high school. And, uh, she sent me pictures of this engagement of her in Hawaii. And I just, in all caps, like, congrats, I'm so excited for you. And I get a text from Dr. West and he's like, why are you so excited? And I was like, all right, creep. Like, did you like, <laughs> did you do something to my phone? Like, and then I realized it was sent to him by mistake. So I was like, well, that was weird. You know, probably a fluke with the new phone. So then I had a root canal and it was her brother was my dentist. And I was like, Hey, Tommy did my root canal. And Dr. West is like, great. Who's Tommy. So I learned very quickly that I cannot text my friend anymore because it goes to Dr. West. And I, oh. So then I'm texting Dr. West, all these like deep, dark secrets as a counselor. Not really, but you know, I was texting him like, Hey, I need you to do this, this, and this for work. And it's going to her. And she was like, Megan, I'm not your counselor, which was hilarious. So all that to say, if I want to talk to Dr. West, I have to call him and I'm sure he really enjoys that because I'm pretty chatty guys. So people prefer to text me because when I call, we're on the phone forever, right? Dr. West. I mean, I know what I am. It's okay. So anyway, today we're going to interview Dr. West. We have questions. I'm going to stay on task. I'm not going to be overly chatty. You don't have to worry. It's going to be a good time. So Dr. West, say hello to the good people. Hey, everybody. So good to be a part of uh, this really, really special part of our week. Um, in Job 23.10, it's, uh, Job says, for he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. And so this Zoom room is really, to me, a gold mine. I mean, there are so many people on this call that, that are of the spirit of Job. You've been tested and you've come forth as pure gold. And you have a lot of gold to, uh, to bless us with. And so uh, as I'm going through answering to the best of my ability, uh, some of uh, Megan's questions, I am going to defer uh, at points to the great gold mine. And uh, because I, I, I know a few things, you know a whole lot more than what I do. And so I'm going to draw that out of you today. So don't be surprised if I call on you to, um, to add your wisdom, your, your, your gold from uh, your gold mine. How does that sound? Give me a, a thumbs up if you can handle that. I see I'm no just thumbs. excited to see who Dr. West thinks is wise in this room. <laughs> Anyone else? You are you're, you're you're a gold mine. This is the Solomon Foundation gold mine here. That's exactly right. I'm seeing some faces that I would pick. All right, Dr. West, you ready to get started? Let's go. Okay, question number one. And I know you're not supposed to like tell secret details and stuff of your sessions, but what are you seeing? Um, what are the most common themes and the most common problems 
that are being brought up in your sessions with pastors specifically without naming any names? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, confidentiality really is probably the, the most uh, important scalpel on my surgery table. So I've got to be careful here because it's it would be really easy for some pastor out there to go, oh, he got that from my session with him. Uh, so I've got to, I'm going to go really broad here. The the issues that are come up in in two different categories: crisis issues and or let me uh, let me uh, say it this way: um, kitchen fires and kindling fires. So kitchen fires, you know, happen when there's a crisis in our ministry, a crisis in our personal life, and and it just throws you and it's like, hey, I need, I need a privy counsel. I need to work this through with somebody. So uh, a lot of pastors come to me because they've actually got a kitchen fire that's broken out in their church or their personal life. And those are pretty easy to treat because it's, it's obvious what's going on. Kindling fires are different. And kindling fires are the result of us, you know, having a hundred little aggravations over a long period of time. And, and we just don't have the time to deal with it at that moment. And so we just kind of push it down. Um, we put it under the list of deferred maintenance. And the problem with that is that, you know, after a while, all that kindling builds up. And so uh, all it takes is, is one one issue that comes up and it, and it sets the whole pile of kindling on fire. And it's, and it's really unsettling because, you know, I'll have a, a ministry leader, you know, contact me and say, I don't know what's going on. You know, I just, I, I, I can't think straight. I'm finding it hard to, to uh, come up with the requisite levels of energy that I need to perform well. And I just don't know what's going on. And, and one of the first questions that I ask is, you know, has there been, you know, any storm, you know, blow into your life that has kind of put you in this situation. And what's debilitating is um, often they say, no, I can't put my finger on anything. And this is why it's frustrating. And so then we have to put on our scuba gear and take a deep dive and, and just look at what's, you know, what's been building up beneath the surface. And so Megan, that is generally, broadly speaking, uh, the the issues um, that bring pastors to me, um, kitchen fires and kindling fires, and the kindling fires actually take a lot longer to be able to resolve because often there's been a lot in there that has not been tended to along the way. So that's my answer to that. And if there's any, uh, um, you know, any follow up questions that any of those of you in the gold mine uh, want to bring up, uh, unmute, or throw a question in the chat. A question two, Megan. Can you give us a specific scenario with a specific pastor of a kitchen fire? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number two, I'm going to read. There was, this. there was one guy called uh, Pastor Bob Smith who. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. 
I was waiting for him to be like, Megan Rawlings once said, no. Um, number two, we're, okay, so this pandemic has been going on for a million years. That's only slightly exaggerated. It feels like a million years, but I do feel like we are starting to see a tiny little light at the end of the tunnel. Not like, we're not out of it, but I see a light, right? Um, as, as we're coming out of that, what are things that pastors, we're shifting our focus, we're trying to, um, we're trying to figure out, we're, we're coming out of the burnout, we're coming out of the pressures, and it's exciting and new and fresh, but what are, what's important, I guess, I'm trying to ask, what's important about, what, what should we not look over? Okay, does that make sense? What are things that are sitting on the back burner that we need to make sure that we're keeping in mind? before we get excited or put out little fires or kitchen fires, because there's stuff simmering, right? Kind of like you said, the kindled fire. What does that look like? What are those things that we need to acknowledge? Did that make sense at all? Uh, yeah, it does. But there are several issues here. And I want to first deal with the, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that is probably a very dangerous section of the journey to be in. Um, let me see if, uh, 69% of all traffic accidents happen within 10 miles of our home. And what researchers have attributed that to is that, um, generally what happens is because we are so close to the end, so close to reaching the, the destination we can stop paying attention. And so, yeah, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but sometimes as ministry leaders, we can try to speed things up in the last section just to, just to be done with this. And I'm not sure that that's really healthy. I think, I think that uh, that's, that's a part of human nature. You know, the closer that we get to the, to the, to the light at the end of the tunnel, the faster we go, because we just want to get there. And everybody here would be unified in just wanting to be done with this. Um, but I think it would be really, it's really beneficial for us as leaders to realize that the, the last section of the tunnel, it, we're just as vulnerable, even perhaps even more vulnerable, because we're, we're likely to just try to um, uh, overlook things and, and not be paying attention. Um, I mean, we, we never thought we'd be in this pandemic this long and it, you know, it, I, I don't want to get into all the, you know, pontificating over that. Um, but all we need at, at this point that can really throw us off um, in this last section of the tunnel, as the as the light, you know, seems to okay, we we we're going to get out free from restriction and 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 uh, you know have a clear runway. All it's going to take is another variant to show up, and and we all we already know that there are a couple of entities out there that have a vested interest in. Um, or the, the media being one, you know, the, the pandemic has been uh, crucial to their business model. Um, government is the other, you know, 
you know, I'm I'm not going to paint the government as as uh, as nefarious, but but they've also you know government officials have have discovered that this is a this is help them discover that they've got that they've got power that they previously were unaware of and so you know all we all we need is another variant to show up and we've you know we've got a couple of entities out there that are going to jump on it and and it it could be detrimental to our own psychological well-being i had a pastor in western australia and i don't know whether any of my you know, you as my uh, American uh, fellow ministers uh, have been keeping track of what's going on in Australia, but it is just crazy town there. They, um, the state that I uh, that I was born in was called Western Australia. They they have completely shut themselves off from the rest of the world. They closed the borders. Uh, nobody can travel into the state of Western Australia without having a mandatory uh, fourteen day quarantine at your expense and the expense is about three to three and a half thousand dollars uh where they put you in uh a a quarantine place and and you have to foot the bill so it's really just shut down all all uh uh inward and outward mobility out of that state and i had uh a pastor from western australia just uh contact me saying that uh, he was absolutely gutted by the the state premier, which is equivalent to state governors, uh, extending for another three months the complete lockdown of the border, and it really has uh, it, it 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 surprised him how much it it affected him in terms of his own mental health and well being, uh, and not only him but but so many others. They they had their hearts and minds set on February 1st is when we're going to get be given back our license to travel. And so I, I think it's just uh, incumbent upon us to also manage our own expectations as to um, as to getting to the end of the tunnel. I, I, I think as a clinical psychologist, I would say, uh, be really careful how much you attach your well-being to to wherever we are in this pandemic um you know if we attach too much of our well-being to the pandemic being over uh, all it's going to take is another variant coming along and and we go in to another round so um i just think it's uh important to just do a check of you know what what we're attaching our well-being to um, as to, um, a lot of us have been putting some things in our lives under the, under the heading of deferred maintenance. Um, it's, it's just really good for all of us to lead us to do a bit of a self-analysis, um, and just ask yourself the question, you know, what have I been putting off as I've been putting out the kitchen fire and several kitchen fires have, have there been you know, areas in my life that I've been not dealing with. And so it's, uh, it's very good practice just to uh, be reflective and ask, you know, are there things in my life that I have been uh, deferring uh, because I've been 
so busy putting out this kitchen fire or these series of kitchen fires. I love it. Um, are you ready for the next one? Yeah, I'm go. Gonna, I'm, I'm gonna switch gears on you here. Okay. okay. I was gonna try to come up with a very clever segue and I said, no, let's just, let's just do it. Cold, okay. stone, hard. Are you ready for this? Go. Let's talk money. Everyone's eyes lit up. Just kidding. Half of you didn't even look at me. Let's talk about money. What are some common themes that you're seeing in pastors and their finances? Oh, this is this is a good one uh, because this is an area of special interest to me. Uh, in my intake of uh, pastors, I do do an, a, an assessment of where they are financially, uh, specifically with just to find out um, how much attention they're paying to their own retirement. And what I'm discovering is some pastors are on track for having a stable uh, economy, personal economy uh, in, their, in their latter years. Their, let's just call them their retirement years. Uh, many pastors, and I wish this wasn't the case, too many pastors are not sufficiently set up. And, and that concerns me. Um, some pastors have stayed in social security and some pastors have opted out of social security. Uh, when I first started ministry here in the United States, that option was given to, to me and it was actually recommended. Say, so, you know, it, you have the chance to opt out of social security, take it. And I did. Um, but it worked for me because I'm actually, I have a great interest in being, uh, financially stable because I grew up with a pastor father who spent his whole life um, having to, you know, having to deal with financial scarcity in, in that particular era, uh, pastors, it was common for pastors not to be remunerated very well. And so it, um, um, it's, it's a particular interest to me um, because, you know, I've, as many of you know, my, my own father died uh, at the age of 50. And, and to me, that's pretty young. And, and he was, he had spent so much of his life investing in his, his ministry development, that his financial um, position was not good. If it, um, so I, um, we were in the prospect of, um, I, I was put in the position of having to tell my mom that we were going to lose our house because my dad passed away. And that would be a, uh, that was just an incredible burden to me at the time. I was 24 and very young in ministry. And I thought, how do I tell my mother who just lost her husband um, that, uh, that the bank manager has told us we're, we're going to be able to we're, we're going to lose the house as well because we did not have the financial means to be able to cover that. So that, that is my personal history, which kind of drives my interest to make sure that pastors are not overlooking this area. And I do not recommend that pastors opt out of social security unless they have a proclivity towards being good money managers and they just, you know, that whole side of their life 
uh, they have a keen interest in um, because it is uh, um, life creeps up on us. We become old, older, uh, mature, uh, quicker than we anticipate. It comes around quicker. And, and what doesn't seem as urgent when we're young becomes increasingly more urgent as we, as we age. And I do counsel pastors that are in, in an age group where they're actually very concerned. And even some pastors that are staying on in ministry because they can't afford to retire. So, um, so unless you have uh, a personal orientation towards having a financial plan and uh, the discipline to stick to that plan, I would say uh, to all the young pastors out there, if you uh, are thinking about uh, opting out of social security, I would say uh, do so advisedly because um, it, it puts all the responsibility on you. Um, it's, it's just, uh, one of those, uh, uh, one of those situations where if, if we could get every 22 year old pastor to take $50,000 and put it into a high yield tax advantaged long-term investment, then Deposited at Solomon Foundation. Yes, there we go. Um, and 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 the vehicle is up to you. And that's where, and, and seriously, the Solomon Foundation is really skilled at this. And and I'm in a, in a few moments. I'm going to open it up to the gold mine because I'm going to give my thoughts on this. But I want the gold mine to share your thoughts as well. Um, you know, what twenty two year old pastor has fifty thousand dollars to spare? And and if they did you know, would they have the foresight to put it in uh, a high yield tax advantage retirement plan? I don't think so. They're going to spend, they're going to spend it on, you know, maybe getting into a house or paying off student loans. So um, the, the problem with that is that uh, we put it off and we miss out on the benefits of compounding interest and compounding interest is, um, is just a huge deal. The longer you stay in, an investment, the 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 more uh, the, the financial returns are based on the compounding of 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 the interest paid rather than what you're putting into it. So, um, so I am concerned. Um, I I think too many pastors are are sailing sailing too close to the edge. Now, I know God will supply all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I believe that with my whole heart. But I also think that God put the Proverbs in the Bible for a reason, that we would learn uh, to be wise with our resources. So um, I want thoughts from the gold mine. I open up what are your thoughts on this whole area of pastors you know doing an adequate job of putting resources away for future years i'm opening it up to the gold mine it's the biggest problem we have within the christian church in america churches do not take care of pastors the vast majority never do 
um, that mindset has to change because if pastors were to just have the ability to defer $100 a month or $200 a month into a 403B program when they start in the ministry, by the time they get to 65, they'll be able to retire comfortably. Uh, the myth of, op of opting out of Social Security is a huge mistake, a huge mistake, um, in my opinion. It's not just the Social Security check that you get. It's the ability to participate in Medicare. Hmm. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a satisfied customer of Medicare. Um, I get Medicare. I have to pay the highest premiums there are. Um, because your premiums on Medicare are based on your income at the time. So I pay $400 a month for myself, $400 for my wife. Uh, for the same coverage, my parents get it for $40 a month. But where am I going to get that level of medical coverage for $800 a month? Um by me going on Medicare, it saves Solomon Foundation several thousand dollars a year of what they would have had to pay for the premiums on, on my Medicare uh, premiums. Um, and I get Social Security checks now. Um, I, I did the analysis and I began taking Social Security at 66, uh, as did my wife. I didn't wait till later. I could have got a little bit more, but I figured out that the yield on what I could get and put it away, since I can put all of that money away in a savings account, I don't need it because I have a regular salary. Um, I'm actually better off taking the money now and putting it into a Solomon five-year certificate. Um, so I just think um, those people out there that this whole generation that probably began uh, in the ministry in the 60s and 70s opted out. And I know a lot of pastors, true story. I know a lot of pastors and I see uh, Dr. Glenn Basie on, on the phone here or on the call. And I'll bet you he's going to shake his head. Yes. When I say this, the number of pastors in their eighties who still have to preach every week somewhere to put food on the table is a lot of people and so if your church is not does not have a 403b program for your staff they need to call me direct uh, because it's not that expensive to put one on and they have a duty to put a retirement plan in place for you as a pastor and pastors um, and even if it's not with Solomon Foundation, if it's with Clergy Advantage or someone else, so be it. Um, of course, I'm biased towards Solomon. Um, and uh, I just know, without divulging numbers, um, in 1999, my wife and I decided we were going to defer the maximum amount to our 403B that we could defer no matter what. And that was the time that in 2000, I had my first daughter, Renee, going to college. And in 2002, I had my second one. But you know what? We said we're going to live within our means after we get 
the deduction of our full amount of our 403B. And we have done that faithfully now for 23 years. And you would be amazed of how much money I have in retirement. All, all because I had the discipline to do it. And I think the key word, Dr. West, is discipline. Uh, when it comes to savings, um, it's all about discipline. It's not how much money you make because the vast majority of Americans are already spending more than they take home in a paycheck. Uh, so it's the discipline of putting that, that into place. And it's put so many of our pastors in bad financial condition because they don't have any health insurance and they don't have any social security and they don't have a retirement plan. Hey, I'll, stop, I'll stop because I'll, this is a big soapbox for me. Yeah, and and we love we love hearing from the gold miner on the soapbox. You you you've got a lot on this, and Doug, you mentioned discipline. I think it's never been easier in this age of automatic deductions to oh. to help your lagging discipline because it just gets swept out of your account before you have a chance to look at it. Yeah, I, I got to tell you that the greatest invention in the 20th century was not the automobile or the airplane. It was payroll deduction. Yes, automatic payroll deduction. Greatest invention ever, ever made in America. Hey, guys, because we had a question in the chat, if you don't mind you me You never asking. see it. Yeah. Yeah, because you never see it. That's actually a great tip. What does opting out of Social Security do to one's ability to be in Medicare? Uh, when you opt out of Social Security, you are, you're also opting out of Medicare. Um, you, you can qualify at some level if your spouse is on Social Security and Medicare, but it's still very tricky to do. And um, again, it's... Uh, it's it's not it's not a good decision to make. So for all the young pastors out there, um, don't do it. Doug, uh, how many how many quarters do you have to have worked? Because some of us worked the secular world and then opted out, and then we can make up some of that towards the end. Do you know how many how many quarters you need? To I think it, I think it's uh, sixteen. Yeah, so what Rob's uh, referring to is if you have a secular job for a while, you are you are participating in Social Security. You cannot opt out uh, in the secular world. Um, and if you do, I think it's 16 quarters total. And I think that's in the aggregate. Um, you do qualify. But again, uh, your, your benefit is so low, um, it's not a big check. Well, it's not the... It's not the check, it's the Medicare. True, good point, yeah. But you still have to pay for the Medicare. Yeah, and your, your Medicare premiums get deducted from your um, Social Security check. If you're not in Social Security, uh, like we went on Medicare at 65, so for a year we were not in Social Security, so therefore we had to pay the premiums to, to the U.S. government. But once you're on Social Security, and if you're on Social Security and Medicare, those are actually deducted from your Social Security check. 
I want to ask another question to Dr. West and Doug on this, because Dr. West, you start off by saying most pastors aren't on track. Can yes. you define what on track is? Oh, that is such a great question. And um, and I think it would be worthy of an entire session where, and I don't know, Doug, you could weigh in on this, um, whether at a, by a certain age, you should have a certain amount saved. There's, there's got to be some type of, of um, document out there uh, that just indicate, you know, by, by the time you're 30, you should have this, 40, so on. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that there, there's uh, multiple issues with that, Doctor Wes. One one is uh, th there's actually a book out there called "What Is My Number?" because every one of our numbers is different mm. based on our lifestyle uh, and based on our needs. Uh, so you know you need to figure out what that number is. Um, my my goal, and many of you've heard me talk about this in the past, is. Um, I will live off the interest on my retirement accounts. Therefore, the corpus of my retirement accounts will go to my daughters, which we've set up that they will only take the interest on that dollar amount. Therefore, we have changed the direction of a, the financial condition of our family forever. Um, and then they will have theirs to live on, uh, but they'll also have the interest. And then my grandchildren will get it therefore after that. But the, the biggest problem in America right now in the retirement uh, arena is people that began planning for their retirement back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s did not expect to live to be in their 90s. And now they're running out of money. And they're having to turn to their kids. They're having to turn uh, to other vehicles because they've run out of money because uh, they didn't expect to live to be in their 90s. Uh, Doug, go ahead. If, if I can jump in there too. So longevity is, is a big issue, what you've just- Huge issue, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the other thing is, uh, you know, what's your number? You know, what is your number? Well. Let me give you a, another couple of numbers here that's going to affect your number. Uh, the number seven. In 2021, inflation was 7%. This year, quite possibly, it might be an additional 7%. I can't see it going lower. So we are in a place of high inflation. So what we as pastors have to think about is whatever our number was, um, prior to this inflationary period, what that number has less purchasing power as a result of what we're going through. So I think it's incumbent upon us as pastors is to just ask the question, do I need to, as a result of us going through this inflationary period, do I need to adjust that number? Yeah. So I'll give you a case in point. Uh, my wife and I, we're, we're, we're kind of working through some of this right now. Um, simply because my parents live on Social Security. So put that into to a perspective of their, my mom turned 90 on Sunday. My dad turns 90 in March. Uh, they still live in a house, uh, but that's kind of difficult. Um, and uh, with this latest round of inflation, 
their prescription drugs went up $250 a month and their food bill went up $300 a month and they don't have that extra uh, just simply because um, inflation has hit, but the, the increase in Social Security is not catching up or will not catch up. Um, and, and we compared that to my wife's grandmother uh, who was in her 80s um, back in the 1980s when the interest rates were 17 and 20% on certificates of deposit at the bank. So the interest that she would earn on her certificates was what she was able to live on. And the problem today is savings rates aren't even 2%. So, so people that are on fixed income um, are going to have a major problem here in this next year. There's going to be a lot of problems for people in their 80s, 90s, and 100s because they're not getting the yield that they would get in a normal market. So, Doug, what I want to do is, okay, so, so let's say that there's some pastors on this call that are thinking, actually, this is an area that I put under deferred maintenance but I really need to look at this now. My, when I'm uh, involved in negotiating for pastors, and I, and I do that, I'm currently, uh, I'm currently working with a, a group of elders to get a special uh, housing allowance given to their senior pastor so that they can, they can buy a house. So I, I, I'm, I'm involved with elderships at this level. Um, Doug, weigh in on this. I think you're best in, in terms of recalibrating or getting your retirement funding from uh, set up from the church. The best time is before you say yes to the church. Negotiate, negotiate that before, before you start uh, because it, it becomes more complicated uh, once you're working for a church to go back to the elders and go, you know, hey, I, I am feeling a little vulnerable in terms of my own retirement and that that can be a complicated discussion so any thoughts on how pastors here can resolve maybe if they're if they're not quite where they need to be uh yeah here's my here's my challenge to every pastor on the call if your church is not providing you with a 403b or individual ira retirement program give them my phone number. Y'all have my cell number. Give, give them my cell number because here's the deal. They cannot convince me that it's not a good thing to do. You know, Doug, I, I would there's just, no way. I would, I would just add one other thing. We're, we're talking about senior pastors here, but there's several of us on the, on the call that have multiple staff. Yes. It's really incumbent upon us as well um, because I, I came out, of the, of the private sector and I had all my quarters and I had a pension. So I, I just had a, an easier route, but I, I definitely feel for our younger staff who are coming out of seminary or who we are tidying out of private industry to come join us in ministry. We pay them a substandard raise. We don't even, we don't even pay them a rate that, that, you know, first year teachers earn in many cases. So championing uh, a healthy, salary so they can begin to live and not worry about ministering in the community they've been called to and ensuring like i don't know how many times that i've had to chase new staff down and almost like pin them to the ground and say you're signing up for the deferred 
benefits. Like, like, and, and they still won't do it. it so we had one staff person took a year for them to sign up and, and that's thousands of dollars they left on the table. Um, so you really have to be proactive to help one, help the new staff understand social security and housing allowance and how they can best prepare for what will be the eventually the long-term ministry that they can have financially as free of worry as possible. So that's just an important thing for us as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, good point, Bob. I think when I say pastors, I mean pastors and staff, that uh, that, that has to happen. And, and 403Bs are, are really a program. And again, um, you know, if you've got a good matching program, um, it's kind of like if, uh, if, if, um, if I'm the chairman of the elders and I go to the staff at XYZ Church and say, hey, we're going to provide you with a 403B program, and uh, we're, we're going we're to give you X number of dollars um, if you match, meaning if you put in 100 bucks a month, we'll put in 100 bucks a month. And anybody in their right mind that turns that down needs 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 Dr. Wes immediately, okay, um, or Dr. Zimmerman. You know, there there's just that's that's the simplest equation there is. Yet people do not do it. Um, and so, but I think a good matching program is important. Um, we go a step further at Solomon. We give a mandatory. Um, 5% to every employee with no match. And then we give a match above that uh, because we just think it's so important uh, to do. I think the other thing is uh, that churches are missing the boat on, on this whole subject is the fact that, you know, the corporate world does it very well. And all the guys that are sitting as elders, the vast majority of them have got a pension or a 401k program. And why wouldn't they do that for their pastoral staff? Uh, again, um, no one's been able to convince me otherwise. And trust me, I've had people call me. And, and Doug, don't make the mistake that Dr. West once made when he was pastoring. It was the most boneheaded decision I ever made. When we went through the global financial crisis, our church went into, you know, we were, we were, week to week. And so I said to my uh, tr treasurer, stop my 403B contributions until the church gets stable again. And, and I stopped it. I, it slipped off my radar. And uh, during, during the great comeback from 2012 to, I think about, uh, about five years later, I missed one of the greatest run-ups in in the uh, in the market history, um, and I was being so uh, uh, sacrificial, um, but I would just just implore all pastors, all ministry leaders, do not raid your retirement account, do not stop contributing, go with you know go without food, go without clothes, but keep keep putting money into your four hundred three b. Absolutely. Megan, yeah, it's, it's a no-brainer. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Doug and Dr. West, for talking about um, retirement and the importance of it. I think that's one of those things that kind of slips under the radar, so I'm glad we had